from the beginning to the end. All right, motion. Uh, my name is Patrick. I'm a lovable guy, and I'm a person in recovery. And thank you for that last part. I love this this new language that's being used here about our addiction. Um, this is going to be very, very emotional for me. And like, I'm so okay with that today. Like, as buddy here, I, I, when I feel something that I need to feel, it's a good thing. And I feel nothing, but it's just unbelievable joy and gratitude to be sitting here with you today. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It's, um, you know, I was thinking, I'm in the shower, you know, and if, if you heard the talk that was in the shower, Orlando would be on the phone going, Patrick, we heard about the Tusnua thing. So we think next September you should be happening for us. I don't think that's the one that's going to happen, but that's okay, too. I hope that this is my love letter to you and to this program that we've, we've uh, embraced here. You know, that that's what I, I, I want this to be. Um, and about the people in my life that have meant so much. That's all it is. It's 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 not it's, it's nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with you and this program. Everything. Right. It's a celebration of that. I tried a million different things from therapy to, you know, treatment centers and whatever to get sober. And I, I, I just couldn't. And then I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I did. Thank you. It worked. Now, there were some bumps along the road as my bosom buddy, lifelong pal, as you can see our title here, um, alluded to. So anyway, I, I will, I'll tell you a little bit of uh, background just to, to uh, you know, get myself going, get over the kind of nervousness I feel. I, uh, I grew up in an alcoholic home and it, it, it was not a, a good beginning. It was... Uh, you know, my father was an alcoholic. He was, you know, born just outside of Dublin, Ireland. So it's it's always appropriate. I always feel more emotional at Tusnua because, you know, the Irish roots and, and uh, you know, now having been there and met people like our friend Tom, who just played that beautiful music. And, of course, my dear Mark, who's, oh, God, i got to share this with you. I, uh, okay, so I have these many Joes in my life. I actually, I'll just go there right now because I, I feel like it that's what I mean it's going to be all over the place and that's perfectly okay so there was a point where I sponsored a couple of guys named Joe I had this Joe my sponsor was this fellow Joe another Joe C Joe Cushing was his name he was an old guy that, that impacted my life so tremendously I could I could spend this talk just talking about that that role and you know different people people feel different ways about sponsorship i am huge on it not because like joe didn't uh tell me what to do in any way shape or form he told me what his experience was always always told me that and i took from that experience right this was a guy who got sober in 1945 so he might have had something to say you know um but so i had this thought the other day this 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 dear friend of ours, Mark, who's somewhere on the screen here, he's probably hosting this thing behind the scenes, if I if I'm not mistaken. But I love that kid like the little brother I never had, right? So I'm thinking the other day when I when I really 
I met Joe when I was 28, uh, Joe Cushing, um, but really started to get to know him when I was 30 or 31, just like Marcus, right? And I thought of him as this old, wise character, you know, um, but thankfully I was open-minded enough to be listening, even though the fact he was a real old guy. Joe Cushing was 69 when I started that relationship. I'm 67. So I thought, holy shit, I've become Joe Cushing in age. How did this happen? Like, how? Right? But it warmed me to think, you know, that that someone like my my friend Mark, who who listens to the generation that came before. And and I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that friendship. Right. So anyway, let's get back to a bit of the story. So we uh yeah, it's almost like I don't want to dig too deep in there because you know the childhood was it was definitely traumatic and and uh and dark you know my father was a fun loving irishman he loved to sing and dance but a very irresponsible guy right so we moved and moved and moved i went to 19 different schools along the way so you're always the new kid you got to learn to fight and you know just uh, not great and, and why did we move because we didn't pay the rent so you know coming from that kind of poverty it it affects a child it's that simple you know so i had I had shame issues before, uh, for as early as I can remember, you know, why do I introduce myself as a lovable guy? Because it's very important to me. That was a piece that was missing for a long, long time in my life and my recovery was I just wasn't okay with me. And, uh, and when I look back on that, it's, it's, it's a sad thing for a child to, to experience that. Right. And now I know it's okay to look back and to go, Hey, yeah. Right. Because when I refuse to look back, that's when I had difficulty. You know, so we'll get to that in a, in a couple of minutes here. But so this this moving and not knowing at first what was causing it was difficult. Then when I realized it was alcohol, the problem was my dad and I, I was his little buddy. So I just loved him dearly. It was that simple. You know, at times, of course, it was the deck Jekyll and Hyde thing that I later would, you know, would perform myself. Right. Where the guy who I saw at home in the morning and the guy who came home that night were two very, very different people who it was harder to talk to, right? Um, and my mother, my mother was the oldest of 11 French Canadian from Northern Ontario. And, uh, and I don't think she ever really was given any love whatsoever. I really don't, you know, because she just was a very, very cold individual, just didn't know how to show love. So I've got this guy, you know, coming home, howling and we're moving and shit's going on and and I can't go to my mother because she's incapable of offering me what a little boy needs you know and that uh, you know that uh that became an issue for a long long time to the point like I knew that if even in recovery that if she died or when she died that I probably wouldn't shed a tear because we didn't have that that bond you know and recovery and unearthing the things that I needed to look at in that relationship gave me not only the ability to grieve the loss of my mother when it inevitably happened, but I had 10 or 15 good years with her where we had a different relationship. And that's magnificent, you know, and just another part of recovery. I must say this, like, like looking at that, that balance between sort of owning what I needed to own as an alcoholic myself, and then sort of a stage two recovery of looking at the places I got hurt. See, for a long time, I didn't know it was okay to look there. And I found myself 
in a place where if I didn't look at it, it would have cost me my life. So we'll get to that again. Um, so anyway, I, I, the, the wild thing with this in my life is I distinctly remember going to my mother once I realized alcohol was the problem and telling her, Mom, never, ever, ever will I touch that. You know, I'm, I'm probably, I don't know, nine or ten when that happens. By the time I'm 13 and someone offers me a drink, I don't even hesitate. I'm on it, you know. So some part of me knew that whatever I needed to happen inside to feel a bit differently than I did was going to happen without ever having touched alcohol in my life, you know. And that was it. Life changed in that moment. I just have to wipe my little snotty nose here from, you know, being an emotional. Pardon me. Um, and again, a sadness when I look back at that and think of a 13 year old boy that, you know, I, I was a bright kid. I mean, I was playing Euchre at four. My father, the, the, the things he did that were right. I mean, he, he would bedtime stories from my father when I was four was the Merchant of Venice, you know, pound of flesh, Antonio. And I loved it. Right. Pied Piper Hamelin where all the kids get dragged into the mountain and, you know. Pay the bills, but anyway, uh, you know, so that I, I always appreciated that. I wouldn't have gotten through life without a love of reading that he gave me, you know. Um, so so anyway, you know, at that time when alcohol comes into the equation and then right behind it, uh, drugs, I um, I worry only about that. You know, school doesn't matter. Family doesn't matter. How do I get a bag of pot and a bottle of wine for the school dance that's coming up on Saturday. That's what matters, right? And it stayed that way. You know, I'm 14, I'm 15, we moved to Florida, right? And as this polite little Canadian boy, or at least I saw myself as, as that, I found Americans to be a little more assertive. No offense, uh, I, many of you are Americans and many of you are my friends, even my old pals here in Washington. What's to be afraid of, right? <laughs> See, I got my terror in Maryland thing going on today, don't I? Huh? Yes, sir. I'm so happy you're here. Um, where was I? <laughs> you were in Florida. Oh, I was. Yeah, I was in Florida living there. That's, oh, so we tell the story, right, Joe? It's time for that story. Um, I had a buddy, like, we're, we're drinking and that's, you know, that's what matters and, and doping and, and, uh, and I'm, you know, loving it, but I, I'm a bit afraid of the world and this new culture and all of these things. And anyway, my my buddy and I, my friend worked. I, I look down the screen here and I actually see I won't identify her by name, but my niece is in the room today. And that that's a special thing for me, for sure. So her father had a, a custom body shop in Florida that after school, I would go and, and help him, you know, sand the cars that he was going to paint. And my friend worked for him, right? So that friend, he and I are, are driving around with these two older guys, probably from the shop. Um, you know, they're probably 20 years old. We're 15 and we're drinking our Budweiser's and just enjoying St. Petersburg. And and the guy in the front seat, he reaches in his pocket and he, he's got a couple of pills in his hand and he goes back like this, and just like Joe and I are sitting and we just grab them gone right and the guy shakes his head like this and he says you two are something else he goes those were pool tip cues that i just gave you right and and no part of me goes holy fuck you'll take anything if you think you're gonna get high 
No, I just thought, so I won't be getting a buzz. But obviously, I'm telling you the story. So it planted some little seed in there, you know. Um, and it, it just it just stayed like that. I'm 17. My girlfriend calls me an alcoholic. I think I need a new girlfriend. That's all that matters there. But again, there's a seed, right? Um, and, and nothing changed. You know, my, my father died a horrific death. We came back to Canada and, and it took, you know, three or four years to get him. And I'll just touch on that, that I, after that happened, I was fucked up. If I'd been bad before that, um, uh, it just, everything changed in that moment that he was gone. I felt like I'd been a, a bad son to him um, and left him in his time of need. And just all of these things that I carried uh, on myself, you know, and, uh, and it's so weird, you know, I have a magnificent partner upstairs right this minute who I've been with since the day we buried my father. So, you know, that's that's how this thing is. Like, I'm one of five children, and each of us either had addiction problems or married adult children of alcoholics. What are the odds? Five out of five. You know, what we live with, we learn. What we learn, we practice. What we practice, we become. Those are Ernie Larson's words, but they're... They are so uh, poignant to the discussion on alcoholism as it relates to the family. My wife was a straight-A student, uh, you know, uh, studying to be a law clerk and locally here. She was from a small town in Ontario. And she meets Buddy, who's, who's out of his mind with grief, alcoholism, and drug addiction, and thinks she's met the man of her dreams. How does this make any sense, you know? I mean, I'm glad, I'm so glad that that I've become a different person in the relationship and have been for a long, long time. And we have a a wonderful partnership. I, I think she'd come down and tell you the same. But, um, but you know, the, the road, when I look back at that and go, holy shit, like, like I don't know how she, she put up with it, right? Because as I say, it just got worse and worse and worse. And I'm 28, have a... Uh, a bad car accident that was that was that moment of clarity that that we talk about here i drove one of those little tin can honda civics when they just folded up like an accordion if they touched anything you know um and i had to go identify it at the wrecking yard because i had in a snowstorm i'd run into the back of a, a big cube van and just looking at this car and thinking how did i get out of this i mean i had a you know broken collarbone and a concussion and some broken ribs but otherwise it was a, a pretty nasty uh, accident and and that gave me the wake-up call i'd been to aa at my my employer when i was 23 or 4 years old 1979 or 80 sent me to day treatment you know all i could I, I couldn't wait to get out of the place i i started going to aa and i'm listening to buddy who's uh he's got six impaired driving charges he's had three wives he's uh you know and then I'm like, what, what am I doing here? Like, I'm, I'm, you know, 24 years old. Like, what's the point? Too young. That's what's happening here. Bye. I'd go out, get drunk, come home and talk about how wonderful Alcoholics Anonymous was. So so then at, at 28, and, and here's a little thing I always like to say, because it, it was always so easy for me to talk about this this Joe Cushing because of what he meant in my life. But the reality of what happened, something I could never give mom was she uh, she was at this, you know, we have here in Ontario something called the Ontario Regional Conference. Some of you 
may or may not have been to it. It's quite a large, you know, five, six, seven thousand people, or at least it used to be, um, each year, right? And at the Royal York Hotel, it was in many, many times. So my mother was down there having tea and crumpets or whatever with other old ladies and 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 uh, and these people were speaking about nutrition. And then this guy comes out on the stage with these old ladies. This has nothing to do with AA. He's giving a talk on nutrition and alcoholism. So, and I, I know this because my mother got me the tape to listen to, but the guy comes out in front of the old ladies and he's like, my name's Joe and I'm an alcoholic. That's first and foremost, you need to know that. And I'm thinking, and you're telling a bunch of old ladies at the Royal York Hotel, like, holy shit, buddy, give yourself a shake, right? But I I had still admired it. I, I listened to the tape. It meant nothing to me because he's talking about, you know, stage three or four recovery with nutrition and back then this is you know 1985 so um what happened was my mother walked up after that and she said can you help my son and joe gave her his card said he was going to florida but anytime after that i could call and this just happened right at this accident and i started calling him every day anyway i mean there was no cell phones back there so it just was his home phone in the hope maybe he was home a day early after I heard the, the guy, the alcoholic, talking to the old women. And then I got him the next week. And that started the relationship. And as I say, it grew and grew. And that guy just had a way about him that um, that I was able to absorb things that I use to this day in life, you know. And he, he loved me unconditionally like this guy here does, right? Um, that's Joe. The name Joe will always mean a lot to me as i started to say i had two guys i sponsored had this character as a best friend i had joe cushing as a sponsor i i the guy who cut my hair's name was joe i had an uncle joe my middle name's joseph it got to a point like somebody like walk into a meeting or something they go oh hey i'm patrick i'm joe like go oh, sit down beside me buddy we're probably going to be buddies right that's how much that name affected my life right so if your name's Joe and you're listening today, we'll have to have a chat afterwards or any other name. Um, so so that began the journey, right? And it, it's weird because um, everything I touched turned to gold in sobriety, right? Uh, Joni is my partner's name and, and uh, we were able to get married and I had some business successes that were the things I couldn't have imagined because I'd just been this irresponsible character my whole life. So suddenly I'm sober and I'm doing things differently and, and things are happening. Good things are happening. Right. And, um, and then there comes a point where I, I get legitimately sick. And here's the weird thing. I had stopped talking about this cough, cough syrup situation back in the mid 90s or the late 90s i remember saying to, to joe like why am i talking about this again in, in secular because it's important to talk about that's why it's important to me right because it opened this other part of the journey that was right so anyway i got all these things going on i got this new marriage i got these two businesses and i'm taking over the counter fucking cough syrup because that's what my self-image says i need to do it didn't have alcohol or codeine in it so that sort of cunning baffling powerful phrase that we're all familiar with or some of us are familiar with um that's what that was because i'm like i've got more money than i ever had 
I kind of like cocaine. Why, why have I not gone and taken cocaine? At the very least, alcohol, my buddy alcohol, why am I not drinking again? Never touched a drop, never touched an, you know, a street drug. But this little bottle, it took me like three, over three years of battling through it. And it was going to take my life. It was very difficult for, for people, my family. I mean, of course, the, the shame that I felt as a result, because it's not like I, I, there's more uh, acceptance in drinking a Labatt's Blue than there is fucking cough syrup. It's more social acceptance to, to one than the other, that's for sure, right? And this stuff, there was no pleasure in it. It just, as I say, I didn't know what was going on at the time, but my my own self-worth was so low. Take the, the responsibility of, of a new marriage and a couple of businesses and add that to the way I felt about myself at my deepest point where I, how sad is that? I can't live in addiction and I can't live in that solution at the time, right? And that's what opened the door Joe Cushing knew some AA members that had a ranch in Arizona. I ended up going there for six months because I just, I would get six months away from this and back, back at it, right? And, and, and I say it's important because, like I said, I'm going, this, is, this must be something different because I, why aren't I, I doing drugs I enjoy doing? This shit just makes it, all I did was walk around in pure sweat. And, and like I say, you know, I look back on it and poor Joan and, and my family and my friends, even my AA friends had trouble with it, right? Because I didn't, I didn't stop going to meetings. Um, I just battled through to the best of my ability, right? But two guys, old Joe, and believe it or not, this was young Joe. This, this guy right here. Those were the I, days, my friend. So that pivotal night that he talks about when I dropped him off because he had said why don't we go for a game of pool because we both love the game didn't eat any of the tips or anything just actually played pool um and he just told me that his love for me was unconditional and then he got out of the van and he went to his house and I just sat there sobbing right and I held on to that for all I was worth Joe Cushing went to Arizona met these people came back and said Patrick I believe there's a place for you so 32 years ago tonight I stood in the Arizona fucking night looking at this guy's going, I wonder if there's something here for me. This was three and a half years. It was going to take my life just like cocaine was, just like alcohol, anything. It was going to take my life. And I just didn't know. I had tried everything. The problem was I thought that I already knew the solution from Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, did I miss something in that fifth step? There's something that, you know, I... I I did, you know, I, I did things the best I could in a way I'd never done in my life. I was honest, but I needed to be, you know, and again, keep an open mind. This is, you know, this is what the journey looked like for me. Many, you know, never pick up again, never have a different a difficulty. But if you have had, um, hear what I'm saying, you know, it, it, um, it was about how I felt about myself and, and Arizona allowed me an opportunity to purge the stories I told myself that were foul, that were going to take my life. It allowed that. I got into looking at, at, at where I'd come from, uh, sort of balancing the relationship with my father of his alcoholism and mine and looking at the guilt, right. And letting it go. 
And I would get in touch with grief to a point I would vomit after sessions there. Just vomit the hurt, literally. And I came home from that experience and things were different. You know, I had a, a different sort of open mind about things. And I, I became very interested in, in adult child issues, you know, and I, I, I actually went to school for that specific thing, working with adult children and alcoholics. And I, I've never spoke about that when I was practicing because I don't believe that my career in, in AA are, it's, it's irrelevant, right? Um, and it wasn't, you know, it's, it's always funny because I, you know, later went to university at 44 and I didn't know these things were possible, by the way. I, I never finished high school. And so to, to take on higher learning was a, a gift of, of sobriety. But anyway, so let's just, you know, I, I want to, I'm going to jump ahead more because I feel like it. Um, so, um, so now I'm doing that and and I'm, I'm attending again, I'm going to, you know, be flat out and tell you like traditional AA certainly, certainly saved my life, plain and simply. Right. Um, and I'm never going to deny that. And the, the, the gifts I took from that program and its people, again, when I say, you know, this is my love letter to you, I mean, all of you, I mean, the people who are here today and the people who are over there, um, you know, in meetings. Right. But it got to a point. I just felt like things were going backwards and I was getting in touch with new readings and new things, you know, and of course the adult child thing and how that had changed my life. And I, I started a men's group, just a men's feelings and issues group, just so we could talk about shit. We had guys from every fellowship on the planet, like, you know, a small group of us. And we met for 10 years and it was just, just men sharing emotionally, just purging stuff and talking about childhood sexual abuse and talking about, you know, uh, mothers, fathers, whatever we needed to talk about, right? And poverty and shame, you know? Um, anyway, it's funny, you know, I was speaking there a, a week or two ago and I was talking about the meaningfulness of, of looking at the adult child as it relates to the two pieces of recovery that are my life. Well, many pieces, but the two primaries that, that I started with. And this guy was feeding back to me at the, at the end of it. And he's like, oh yeah, I remember where... Uh, People were into John Bradshaw and they brought teddy bears to meetings. But that didn't last long. And I thought, seriously? Like, looking at childhood trauma, you equate to bringing a teddy bear to it. Kind of upset me, to be honest with you. But I let it go. I'm back here amongst, you know, you all. I couldn't help myself. Um Anyway, so let, let's let's just you know we're gonna wrap it up soon because I'm just, I'm rambling, but I uh, so oh, yeah 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 there god damn I almost forgot. So I stopped going to meetings. It was the weirdest thing. I would I would bring like guys I sponsored to, to Beyond Belief Toronto the physical meeting right, and then they'd go away and start secular meetings, and I'd go back to my traditional meeting with this sense of loyalty that was kind of fucked up, you know. Um, it doesn't mean I don't judge any of that. Like I said, it was life-saving, right? But something had changed for me. But again, I seemed to have trouble moving forward. I wasn't, I wasn't going to secular either, right? So it wasn't until Zoom hit that Professor Long here it says to me, uh, why don't you give this a shot? Uh, it might be good for you. I'm like, oh, fuck, okay. 
So we went to the Queen Street Mental Health Tuesday meeting in Toronto, and uh, I loved it from day one. And a few of you were there. And then young Mark was there and said, we're starting a, a secular meeting in Ireland. We started last week and we could use some support. And so Joe and I came. We spent a couple of years there, started to meet that Tara and Marilyn were there. Uh, I don't know if Dawn's here today, but, you know, but there was lots of you anyway. And, and, and that was so cool because, like, you know, my father being from there and I had been to Ireland by that point and, and, uh, and was able to to uh, to go where my father was born, to the house he was born, just outside of Dublin. And what an experience, right? But then, like, getting in touch and listening, this is the other part I just want to get into here. Listening, Zanner uh, and I were talking about this last night. Zanner and I met for the first time physically last night, and it was exciting to, to finally, you know, give a hug to this person, right? <laughs> so uh, we're, I was talking, like, about the, the the new discourse on on addiction that I'm hearing in these rooms, right? And, and like this, like I said, I, I I don't have any problem identifying as an alcoholic and using that, but I like the terminology. I like this people talking about like our one friend there who identifies a part of me as an alcoholic or a person in recovery or alcohol use disorder. All of these these new terms I think are very very healthy. You know, I put away the shame guilt. Uh, blame fault words a long time ago right but these new ones and this new discourse that you got going on in these rooms it's so exciting it has rejuvenated me i can't tell you then add the element of things like this i have to give a shout out to this tasnua thing that you were doing every year i usually just pop in for an hour or two but i always always make an appearance because it's important to me and just want to honor those of you who put 25 hours of meeting on every year and then people like Xander starting what we just saw was a uh, neurodivergence meeting. This is some cool shit. Seriously, like the openness of people's talks. And I, I could go on and on about it because I, I'm learning. I, I feel like I'm a, a student again of this thing, you know. Um, oh God, I look forward to this Orlando thing coming up. I, I, I probably won't be speaking there, obviously. But he probably will. And, you know, there's a bet you there's a few of you in the room that, that will, right? That Mike G's probably right in there. I'll bet. I love that cat's talk. Now there's a fucking AA talk. That cat. Whoa. Oh, my God. So, anyway, what a pleasure. I uh, Just looking at the screen right now, and I see got to sit and have a meal with our friend Tom from Cork. And I just loved hearing you play piano. Play piano. <laughs> <laughs> play some beautiful jazz guitar earlier today. And, 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 you know, going over after on my second trip to Ireland and, and you know, meeting Eugene and Don from Sligo, one of my favorite guys who, you know, him and his wife got to sit down and, and have a little time with and uh, Damien in, in Dublin. Uh, it just went on and on. I, but but for me, again, my my dear Mark to go down to Mullinavat, Ireland and spend a couple of days with him. It was uh, it was a special thing for me. So I really want to say thank you and I love you and, and and when I say thank you I mean you're giving me this this new piss and vinegar about recovery and thank you that, uh, that's it thank you I love you the end <laughs>